Hello, I'm Julia Samuel, a grief psychotherapist and author of Grief Works, and I'm delighted to be recording a podcast today with Carrie Ad Lloyd, who is a comedian, an actor, and a fellow podcaster. And she was bereaved when she was 15 when her father died. And she's been understanding that through recording her own podcast, Griefcast. So hi, Cariad. Hi. Hello. This is quite strange because we've never met each other. No, no. I've read your book, which is very brilliant. Well done. Thank, thank you very much. <laughs> and I've listened to your podcasts, which are equally brilliant. So there's a kind of grief fan club that we've yeah. oddly... Joined. Joined. <laughs> yeah, weirdly. I... Um, I only started the podcast quite recently and it's called Griefcast and it's just I interview comedians about death or their experiences of grief, not like who they've killed or anything. And um, I since then have discovered how much sort of grief clubness there is. I didn't realise like there are so many people talking about it or your book and stuff. I sort of was very blind to it, all, which has been really nice to kind of have a door open and go, oh, other people are talking about this. And I mean, the blindness is really what we're both working to change, isn't yeah, it? Because yeah. what I got from your podcast, and I'd love you to talk about it now, is that you were so totally unprepared for your own father's death when you were 15. Yeah. And, you know, what would you like to have known then? If What could you have known before? <sighs> yeah, so my dad died when I was 15 uh, of... It was pancreatic cancer, but it, we didn't discover till it had uh, gone to the liver. So secondary liver cancer is what sort of, you know, sparked everyone's interest because pancreatic has, like, virtually no symptoms at all. So it was... Um, a silent cancer, isn't Yeah, it? so it was a very much shock. He was diagnosed in February and dead by the April. Gosh, so, so quick. Yeah, so it was very quick, very sudden, and uh, 15 as well. So, and I was quite a young 15. I mean, I was sassy, obviously. <laughs> Still mm. sassy. But... Um, I wasn't, yeah, I, basically up until that point, my world had been very safe. And, I, you know, two of my grandparents had died, but it was they were quite distant. And I lived a very happy, I mean, protected, <laughs> very protected, mm. very suburban. Yeah, I played in my garden. I watched my Friday night TV. My friends came round and everything's basically fine. Um, so when he died, it was a, it was definitely a huge, I always describe it as the, the rug was pulled underneath. The image I had then was was like it went from day to night, from being a child and kind of happiness, and I almost imagined a kind of pink bubbliness, <laughs> yeah. to, to an, an innocence, to something that is a schism where you're kind of thrown into an alien planet where you don't know what the hell is going on. Yeah, it really was. Uh, and my grandpa died six months after him, who I was Gosh. very close to, and he literally died of a broken heart. Like, they kind of Aww. said, we don't know what's wrong. I mean, yeah, that's a whole other... Okay, you know, whole other prob world of problems because obviously his other sons and the rest of the family are going, oh, thanks. Um, you love me least. <laughs> yeah. So I went from having a very secure, you know, they, my grandparents lived down the road and, yeah, everything was very closeted. And I think I was a very... I was quite a dark teenager in that I, I, was, I was goth and I was into my Sylvia Plath poetry. But I think I... I didn't understand. So I sort of thought I knew how bleak the world was. Like, I just kind of like, I, I get it, guys. Like, I know how hard it is. But I didn't have a effing clue. So I don't know I'd swear on this one. I love swearing. Okay, we swear on my one. So I'm like, mm. yeah, I never have a fucking clue. So it was such a sudden, yeah, it's like being plunged into ice cold water. Or like, nothing was comfortable about it. Everything was, was, it was very horrific and shocking and, 
and raw. And yes. Like so your skin's raw. been ripped off. And we've talked about this on my podcast quite a lot with other people who've had shocking ones of... Um, my big thing was um, I couldn't stand a overground train stations because, you know, they sometimes go, oh, the fast train's coming. <gasps> and when the fast train would go past, I'd feel like it was rip, like ripping my skin off. And I, mm. as a teenager, was so embarrassed by that feeling because I thought, oh, this is so, I'm mental. Like, this is, so, why would anyone think that? Because I didn't really know anything about, you know, I didn't know what grief was, obviously. And And what we want people to know is that... One of the most common feelings of it is that it feels like fear. Yes, yeah. And you feel very unprotected. Yeah. So any sensations are intensified. Yes. So any shock feels kind of shuddering. And you, <sighs> yeah. But also what you're talking about, which I think is not fully recognised, is how embodied it is, mm. that we feel it so much in our bodies and we very rarely find the words for it. I mean, you're finding them now. Yeah, and I'm 34. Yeah. So it's taken me a long time, a very long time. Another thing I, I wanted to talk to you about mm. is I really fell through the gap in that I was taken to a grief counselling session, but it was for children because I was under 16. And it's, I think that's really hard. I guess from like 13 to 15 or even 16, because obviously if you're past 16, you get treated as an adult and you're not. And I was 15 and I got taken to a session. So I, my mum did her best to try and get me yeah. to counselling. Because her and my brother both had um, counselling from Cruise, the, the charity mm. that does free grief counselling, which they found very helpful. And I got taken to counselling and I had to sit in a child's chair in a room full of toys with crayons in front of me. And she tried her best, but everything in my body was like, well, this is so patronising. And yeah. like, I remember sitting on, you know, like this tiny little like plastic chair thinking, well, I don't belong here. And my and my grief is so adult but not adult and painful that I can't express it in this room of toys and and she kind of knew better the poor woman she did try and help me but I just built the most biggest wall possible and was like it, you try me yeah you yeah. just try me girl because it is not <laughs> happening so I think it's really hard when you are yeah you're in between you're in between worlds so I think that's what I've struggled with mostly and I think it is I think you're right it's it's sort of young people, adolescents, can fall through the gap because you, you know, the work of adolescence and stepping into adulthood in a way is to fight and pull away from your parents and argue against everything in order to then eventually to separate enough that you can then come back and find your kind of places of of meeting, which I'm sure you have with your mum now. And so at 15, when your dad is kind of ripped from you Mm. you're wanting to hold on when all of your body and your kind of uh, maturation is telling you to let go so it's very very confusing it's very stunted so I relate to him still as a teenager (laughs) when when I talk about him when you know I'm in therapy now and I I, my reactions are still like, what? Well, it's not fair that he said that. And I hit, I think, ooh. Because it, I never, like you said, I never went full circle. Oh, no. So you've only got the beginnings of relationship and you have to form the other half without without that person there, which obviously is all grief. But it's, well, all grief is difficult, but it's, a, it's, a, it's confusing. And I think it's interesting you said about the verbal because 
it's grief is difficult enough to verbalize anyway but as a teenager is when you shut down all your verbal communication like you stop talking to your parents you stop talking to your family you know your friends just grunting yeah you grunt and your friends are the only one you want to talk to so i was suddenly in this position of like i don't want to talk to my parents or my family about this because these are feelings and that's embarrassing and my friends don't have a clue like nobody had a could deal with me at all because you know they were talking about boys and getting drunk and going out and I was like do you realize we're all gonna die <laughs> so I was not popular very alienating so alienating yeah so what in the charity I work with Child Bereavement UK we have a young persons group oh wow so oh, they're I would have yeah you I would love that we I don't we've been going 22 years so we probably we probably didn't have it then yeah but um so we get young people aged from 13 to 18 to get together. Oh, and actually, wow. we, it's project-based. Yeah. So we get them to think of, they make films, they make music, yeah. they do art, they create things, and they've done an app for us. Oh, wow. So we get them to think about how they feel by working together mm. and voicing it through doing something. And that's a much... so there, um, And it could be a sibling that's died, it could be a parent that's died. Um and I think that's a very good way. People, young people want to be with each other, don't yeah. they? want to talk to each other. And I got very... I was lucky in one way. I had one friend at school who I was close to, but we obviously got much closer, and her dad had died it when she was eight. So she was the only person who understood the bleak humour, which obviously I have used as a defence in my career, and now pays my bills, so that's, that's good. Um, and she used to make me laugh, because every time I'd moan, she'd be like, at least you got 15. She'd be like, what are you moaning about? I was nine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she was like, so that, we kind of clung together. And that was hugely important to me. And I think it's so, yeah, I can imagine being in a group, you do feel, you do feel... You belong. So, yeah, you just want to feel like you're not crazy. Yeah. And you're not, because also all the adults are treating you like you're special. Oh, poor, poor you, poor, you, poor Karen. And they all look at you with this pain, which now I understand. But as a teenager, you're like, what is that pain? Because they know. And the head on one side. Yeah, the head on How are you? Uh, me and Hannah used to laugh. But like, how and are that you? Voice. Yeah. The voice. How, I hate that voice. How, how, how are you feeling? Are you? How are you feeling? Feeling all right? <laughs> it's so, Urgh. it's inquiring, isn't it? It's very inquiring. Can um, we, can we, I've interrupted you. No, go for it. I talk all a lot. therapists speak. <laughs> Is, can we talk about the use of dark humour? Because I really yeah, like yeah. dark humour with grief, and which is why I was drawn to you. Because I think there is a kind of healing nature to it. Yeah, black humour. I think so. I think it can help. I mean, it can also tip over into not dealing with it, which my family definitely fall into the category of like, let's just laugh and never speak about this. Um, with tears. With tears. So my mum is from. My parents come from very different backgrounds. My father is much more middle class. Um, my mum is from a very working class background. Where and the phrase I always use is, "If you don't laugh, you'll cry." And she always like so. It was like we would seek the laughter because it was just like, well, it, at least you'll feel better for a second. <laughs> so and connected. I mean, there's yeah. something of joining in laughter, isn't there? Like there's yeah. something joining in tears. Definitely. And I think my dad was quite. <laughs> an odd character and so I think what really helped me my mum my brother we became like a very tight unit afterwards was we would laugh about him so we would remember him but often quite a mean like sometimes quite mean go like oh god do you remember the weird things he used to do but being able to laugh about how weird this man was but that's lovely though so but it sort of made it I guess it made it feel like 
you know what, he did exist because he was so weird and the death was so weird that I think we all kind of needed to go, can I just check that you remember this? (laughs) I haven't made this up. I haven't made this up. I haven't made this up that we live with this extremely huge character who's now completely gone. Invisible. Yeah, and so... And, I mean, from a theoretical, not process perspective, because death is invisible once the person has died and gone... There is nothing concrete. So what we talk about now, it's by remembering the person that's died that we find a way to grieve. And so in a way, you doing it by remembering his eccentricities and the hugeness of his character and laughing together was actually probably psychologically incredibly healing. Yeah, I think so. And I think... I also think we perhaps we hadn't laughed about him when he was alive a bit. It was sort of not... It's a little bit verboten because he might hurt his feelings. <laughs> but he was odd. So I think it kind of all helped us to bond as well. Of like, God, he was weird, wasn't he? Like, at least let's admit that now. Yeah. And I was talking about this the other day because I'd forgotten that my dad pretended to sort... And he was in the hospice. I mean, talk about dark humour. Um, we went... We came to see him one day and he pretended that he'd gone mental. As a joke. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is so dark. <laughs> so dark. Like, Whoa. we came in the room and he was like, he rolled his eyes back and he said he, it said he couldn't, he was like, he couldn't speak. And me and my mum were like, it's happened. It's happened. And then he was like, he couldn't really, you know, he didn't have a lot of strength. But he laughed. I was like, hi, I got you. <laughs> that, I mean, oof. Which, at the my time. My mind is open now. I know. Like, at the time, I remember being like, but that is, my family. Thanks, Dad. That is sort of how we dealt with things of like, this is so painful that yeah. at least if I just make you laugh, yeah. I'm not. I guess it's a way of not sometimes not dealing with the pain, which is what we all are a little bit guilty of, definitely. But actually, he was also saying, "I'm going to die." Yeah, wasn't he? I think he so. was saying both. Yeah, you know, he was like trying to make it more bearable by by acting it out, yeah. but he was also saying, "I'm dying." And it's funny because he didn't say that; like he was not very accepting of its death, so he was still making plans. Um, right up to the end. He was like, well, next week we'll do this. So it's a funny that maybe, yeah, you're right, maybe he was enacting it out, but it's a very odd thing to do. <laughs> but it's his best he could do. Yeah, yeah, I think so, because he, he just he found it extremely difficult to accept that it was happening to him. And because it was so quick, I can understand that as well. If, uh, if a young person was listening now who had a very sick parent, mum or dad, um, or a parent who just died... What would you, what would, looking at your 34 year old self, looking yeah. at your young self, what would you say to them? I just, oh, I just want, you want, you want to give them a hug. Yeah. <laughs> Which they don't want. No. So that's But they push it away, they but you away. still, I think you when they it. say stop it, I love it, you still give it to them, don't yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. Because then they do secretly want it. I pushed so many people away and I didn't want them to go and they did because I was so good at pushing people, like yeah. such an angry girl. And so many people went, oh, okay. And I was inside being like, come back. No, they're shouting. Come back. Fight for me, fight for me. Yeah, I had a real problem with that. Yeah, just you're not alone, that you feel alone and you're... And it's so hard to believe, especially when you're a teenager and you think you're right about everything. So you, it took me a long time to understand, like, you know, what, how the, the CBT, like, thoughts aren't facts. Mm. So I was like, well, I feel alone, so I must be alone. And I think just go, you're, you're not. Everybody, lots of people will go through what you're going through. Just unluckily, you're going through it now. Too early. And some people will go through it when they're 60, 40, 25. You, I'm so sorry, my dearest, you just got there early. It's random. Yeah. And so actually... 
I always try to take strength from I'm getting it over with now <laughs> and I cannot describe how many positive things have come out of that experience mm. even though it's a strange I like in your book you say like, it doesn't diminish the sadness but positive things did come out it changed who I was a person it made me appreciate things in a complete different way I would have gone down a very different road and I didn't go down that road and I went down a you know healthier but far more complicated and sad road but I am happy with where I got to and I think if you can just see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel it isn't everything even though it feels like everything like losing a parent or a you know brother or sister it is awful but it isn't everything there is life there is other things that will fill your life you will kind of I mean I think what I'm getting from what you're saying is that you can't avoid the pain. There's Ooh. no there's no shortcut, there's no way of getting out of it. And it does feel as black as and dark oh, as it yeah. is. But to kind of trust, even if it's outside of yourself, that the depth of what you're feeling also expands you as a human being. Yeah. So you you feel everything more. Your capacity to love is greater, your capacity to feel the value of life is probably greater. Mm. You're probably in some way enriched, which is a sort of irritating thing to say. So irritating. <laughs> like, I'm, I, I've always known it. I have been enriched by this experience in the way that you are enriched by heartbreak or by having a wonderful friend in your life. You are. You can't help but be enriched by experiences. It doesn't stop it being... No, ugh. you still want to punch someone oh, for saying it to like you. Oh, it's still like the most <laughs> irritating. You're like, well, I didn't... I don't care. I don't want to be... Enriched. I want enriched. them back. And yeah. I also I felt like I don't want to be in this special club of the people who've done it early, but... You know, over time, I've just... And over time, the other thing that I found helpful, which is just very personal, I found it helpful that as my friends got older and they lost parents, I was able to help. Yeah. And that made me feel useful and it made me feel like, well, something came out of it, mm. that those, you know, five or six friends who lost parents came to me when they were 20, 25, 28, mm. 30, and I was able to go... Hey, I know what you're going through. You're not mm. alone. And I am a living proof that you will you get survive. And I felt like, oh, well, well, that's something. Yeah, it is something. <laughs> You've got to grab the things while you but can. But also you get closer, don't you? You feel those relationships deepen. So much more. And mm. like you, also, if you are listening to this and you're a young person, I mean, I'm sorry, you've got to wait. But people will turn around to you one by one and go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I didn't understand. Yeah. And it might not happen when you're 16 or 18. But one by one, people went, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't understand I didn't what you were going it. through. I didn't get it. And now I do. Mm. And you think, I'm sad that you get it. But also, it's, really nice that, it's nice that now you do get it. Because yeah. they, just, they just don't get it. No. They don't get it. And that's not their fault. I was very angry at the world for a long time. And it, yeah. it's not their fault they don't get it. And anger is an expression of hurt, isn't it? It's like anger is like, ow, yeah. Yeah. fuck off, yeah. stop hurting. And But it needs to be expressed. You need to kind of get it out. Yeah. And there's, But it does push people away. So it's we're kind of made opposite to how we should be. I mean, I think I talk about this in the book, is that when you're sad, it should be that you draw people in yeah. and that when you're happy that you sort of don't need to, but actually it's the reverse. Complete people, <laughs> Which doesn't bloody no work, No one wants to hang out with the angry 15-year-old, let me no. tell you. <laughs> I am not, even in your family, it's not popular. It's really, I would also say this if people are angry, because I suffered, I mean, it's not their fault, but my mum and my brother are not angry people, and me and my dad were. Yeah. And so I lost my comrade in anger in that, he, me and he would shout, swear, and it'd be all right because we're both like, yeah, I know and, you didn't And mean you it. got it and you could forget it yeah. five minutes later. Whereas my mum and my brother are very, um, 
you know, arguments mean a lot to them. They don't raise their voice. They don't want to fight. So I suddenly had all this anger and no one to just fight back and go, don't worry. But so I think if you are feeling angry as well, it's to just even if your family, even if other people aren't feeling the same way as you, doesn't mean you're weird Mm. or wrong. You're just dealing with it differently. And that took me, I for ages just thought, well, I I am the damn child (laughs) that that is angry and shouldn't be because no one else is. Everyone else is just crying. Like, why am I the one throwing chairs and punching things? Like... I mean, that's one of the big, big things I want people to understand better is that in a family, how even though the person that's died, it could be siblings, it can be parents, their relationship, the level of the love is the same, but how they express it, how they feel it, how they show it, how they behave can be so completely different. And so that the family system is fragmented. So not only has someone that they all really love died, but actually the way you are together gets thrown in the air. Yeah. So you feel like you've lost your your best home base and your yeah. mum maybe, your mum was, your in your case, your mum was grieving. So you, her, your go-to person um, wasn't there either. So it's very yeah. confusing, it's isn't it? It's so hard. It's so hard because, yeah, everything, you, your touchstones of like, well, I'm sad, I'll tell my mum, oh, well, she's crying yeah. or she's wishing that I wasn't crying today. Um, so I'll tell my brother, but, you know, he's, Everyone keeps telling him he's the man of the family, so he's struggling with That's that. That's really rubbish, by the way. Oh, I know. <laughs> but people just don't know what to say, do they? So they just come out with these things. My favourite is the one that people used to always say to my mum, chin up. Oh, and my I'd, goodness. I remember sitting in the car thinking, even I at 15 think that's lame. <laughs> like, even I think, could you not come up with better than chin up? Like, she's just lost her husband. I'm sorry, my heart breaks for you. I'm sure you're devastated. Chin up. Chin up. <laughs> I know. It's very What English, does that even mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? I know. It's such a. Chin up so you can punch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, chin up. So it's... And also, that thing, isn't it? If you look upwards, you don't cry. Like, that's a physical way. Uh, Actors' tip to stop tears is like they if look you upwards. move your head. It physically oh, won't, wow. which is, you know, you sometimes you look, look down. down. When you cry, your head yeah. goes down. So I think it's like, it must come from. Taught me something. Yeah. <laughs> It must come from, if you look up, you won't cry, which, yeah, which I think... What are the other really annoying things people say? Oh, chin up was over. My mum always complains that um, a lot of people said, a lot of women her age, who she wasn't good friends with, said, um, oh, I know how you feel, I'm divorced. (gasps) She got that a lot. Or even, um, oh, I'm divorced, I wish he was dead. I I hear that a lot. Mm, Which is really... You just like it's like I feel like it's like um, doing a Ouija board. It's like don't call it, don't call it, mate. You don't know what you're messing with. No, no. Um, I guess I got a lot. Better of, place. He's in yeah. a better place. I his pay, his suffering's over. Yeah, I didn't mind. I didn't mind like because I feel like I feel like at least you made an effort. <laughs> like, oh, some people find a better place. Like, no, I, he isn't in a better place. I want him here yeah, right now. Yeah. Go away. I don't. You know. Yeah. I mean, people, a lot of, because it was so quick. My dad was an extremely healthy man, which was the other shock. He, like, he was training for an Ironman. Oh, my God. Yeah, and he was, like, running marathons. So it was, it was like, double-double. Everyone was like, what? It's not like he was a chain-smoking alcoholic. Drinking. Uh, no, yeah. very, very healthy. So lots of people said to us, oh, well, he would have wanted it to be quick because, you know, he was such an active person. And at that time, I think, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. But having experienced having sort of, not counselled, but helped my husband go through his... He lost both his parents and it was much more slower. And obviously, they're both awful, but 
I always, I talk about this in my podcast as mm. well. Of like, I get jealous of the slow ones. Yeah. Because I'm like, look, they have the, time. They have time. You got time to talk. You got time to say sorry. You got time to realize you would be an idiot about something. You don't have time in two months. No. All you're dealing with is like, oh my god, what? The shock. He's got what? Mm. And then they're gone. So, but obviously, I, obviously, I know, I know people with slow deaths is equally not fun. It's just there isn't a hierarchy. No, is there, there isn't. You, there isn't. But the, each experience has its own difficulties. Yeah. I'm going to try a really difficult question, and you may not... Um, sure, go for it. <laughs> what do you wish you'd said to your dad that you didn't say? Oh. Do you know what's funny is it changes. That's the other thing I, I'm surprised about. There was things that when I was 16, it was like, I wish I'd probably explained that I really liked Bob Dylan. <laughs> like, oh. you know... I wanted that? him to know you. Yeah, and I... Mm, this is a tough question. I did try and talk to him. I actually tried to talk to him about music and how he'd influenced me because he was very into his music and his film and there's a lot of things that I, I wouldn't have known had he not banged on about them and I'd, like, pretended I didn't care, but I obviously was like, oh, what? I, I'll take that. Um, I wish I hadn't taken his reactions personally. So I remember trying to talk to him and he kind of laughed, which I took as... Laughing at you. Yeah, you don't care. But I think he was laughing at like, oh. oh. With you. Yeah. So I guess I wish I'd just, rather than not what I'd said, I'd rather I'd stop, not stop talking, if that makes sense. Because yeah. I think I got so sensitive and thought, yeah. oh, well, no one, no one wants to hear my opinion. Like, I'm just going to not say anything because you're so sensitive as a teenager. Yeah. And I'm, I, it's nothing specific because we did, we're a very open family and I really did say I love you and I'm, you know, I, which is actually... All that matters. All you really need to say. He definitely knew. How much you loved him. I loved him, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> getting teary because it's a grief podcast, guys. That's what happens. Um, it's amazing to... how it lives in you, isn't oh. it? It doesn't... Which, again, for years I thought was wrong. I yeah. thought, well, why am I still upset? I must be doing something wrong. Yeah. And it's taken me to 34 to go, because it's sad. It's sad. It's still sad. It's okay, it's still sad. It's like, but I was like, oh, I should be over it by now. I'm 20, I'm, or I'm 25. I'm not sorted. Yeah, I'm not sorted, I'm not sorted. And it, yeah, it's taken me so long to just go. And you may yeah, still, in 20 years' time, you know, when you look at your daughter who's just been born. Yeah, yeah. Have a moment when you feel sad. Oh, you know, it'll be know forty years yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. And there'll be days that is at the back of your mind and it isn't present at all, and you're yeah. just having fun or whatever. And what I always, I mean, hilariously, I do this podcast with no training at all. But what I say to the people, comedians, is like, it does get easier. There's no denying the intensity of the pain changes. Yeah, intensity of the pain definitely, but that doesn't stop the sadness. And in a way. The sadness is important because that's how you go, oh, I did care. I loved him. I loved him. I did love him, even though we had such a difficult relationship. Like, it's nice to sometimes go, oh, I am sad that he doesn't get to see his granddaughter. Oh, you know what? I wasn't a terrible daughter, was I? Like, yeah. Sometimes just to remind yourself. Yeah. like Because it it's it, it's the biggest connector to him in some yeah. ways. I mean, you have the mem your memories and you have photographs and I'm sure you've got lots of things that you look at. But to feel him, you mm. probably need... To, well, you can probably laugh about him and yeah. have those when you're talking about him. But the one, I think, that goes straight to your heart is the sadness, yeah. where you feel the love. Yes, and you feel the and you lack. you can draw him in. The lack of them, yeah, which makes you realise how much they loved you. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, it's a big hole there, isn't it? Yeah. Wow, he really, he really, I mean, he showed it in difficult ways, guys, but he really did try. <laughs> he did. Yeah, and so I think... Um, 
I don't mind the sadness now. And I know it will change again. And I, I think if, you know, if someone's fresh to it, fresh to the grief game, welcome to the club, yeah. um, it, you know, it does, it does get more manageable. And that's not to say that you, I always think as well, you do hit the old surprise knockout, like out of nowhere, you're back to where you were when it first happened. But mm. they get very rare. So, Seasons, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah. Or music. I bet with you it's music. Music and... His music. Yeah, although because I overdosed on it, I'm, I think I made myself a bit more immune to it. But there's a couple of songs that catch me very badly, songs that are played at his funeral, that are quite rare. So it's not often you hear Frank Zappa played, but if you hear Frank Zappa, I'm like, yeah, you know. That's in your body again, yeah. isn't it? It's like you remember. And the smell, I find, as well. Mm. <laughs> Somebody smells the the equal amount of musty, musty man who's uh, been actively training for a marathon. <laughs> it's, it's not a pleasant it smell anyway. Smells such a uh, poignant. Yeah, yeah, it really sense, it really it? triggers. Yeah. Or like food here as well. That sometimes catches me. Of like it's because you you smell a food first. Yeah. You think, Why is that making me upset? Oh, oh Dad he, loved it. He's oh. the only one that ate that. So yeah. that smell has not been in my life since I was 15, kind of thing, you know. So it's, yeah. I mean, I'm sure... You can't predict it, can you? No, um, all people who are grieving will tell you, like, it's the weirdest sentences, like, or the weirdest things that just knock you. I've talked about this before as well, like, people who look like him. Oh, <gasps> the back of them. Back of them, or just even, like, when you glance up in a crowd and you're like... <gasps> like you know, That's forever. Middle-aged then. men look a lot like each other. <laughs> so I struggle quite a lot because as a middle-aged man in the suit, you're getting the tube. It can be quite tricky sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly looking, going, oh, my God, it looks like my dad. Something I, I talk about quite a lot in the book is this thing of continuing bonds, that the relationship mm. continues. Yeah, so I found that you interesting. Have, you have to grieve the reality of, of the loss um, and you have to find a way of expressing your grief but you internalise the person in some way or you believe they're in heaven or whatever mm. your belief system is. And you said you're still the adolescent yeah. um, with him. But how does, that, how does that relationship with him... I mean, do you, do you ask him stuff? Do you say, Dad, shall I... dot, dot, dot? No, because I never would have when he was alive. Okay. I never would have... So, but then, so it's a lived yeah. relationship, though. So what would you have done when he's alive that you might ask yourself now or do now? See, I, I think the problem I'm struggling is I'm currently in therapy to try and figure out how I move the relationship on. Yeah. Because I am stuck at 15 with him, definitely. Mm. So it's taken... I've only been in therapy for a year. It took me a long time to even... I went for a couple of, like, one-offs when I was in my 20s and just, like, freaked out, was not ready. Mm-hmm. And then the past year I found somebody who I'm like, oh, OK. I, I feel can like work I can, with you. I can talk to you without internally in my head pulling everything you say apart. Um... And that's what I, well, I mean, this is a whole other debate, but I am stuck at 15 with him. And if you mm. look at my career as a comedian, comedians are stilted children and teenagers. Adolescents, yeah. So in a way... It's quite useful. It's useful. <laughs> I'm also terrified of letting it go because yeah. well, what if then... I lose my talent. I lose my funny or my perspective on the world. And it's taken me this therapy to realise, like, I can move forward. So I think I'm only just continuing that relationship uh, which is why when I read that in your book I was like oh like I, I knew I was supposed to be doing it and I think I suffered from if I grow older if in our relationship he's gone he's gone so I definitely stuck to like well I'm going to stay 15 because that's who he knew uh, so if I become a 20 year old even though obviously I'm now 34 he'll have been dead five years and he doesn't know that person no 
So I, who am I without that? So I so really, I sort Confused. of stunted myself and went, well, let's just stay a 15. Like how you view the world, how you dress, how you behave, because that's, he knew that person. And I really struggled when I got married and when I had a baby, because 15 year olds don't get married or have babies. So that was when it, it really forced you. Yeah, it really made me go, oh, oh, look what you're doing. <laughs> you are a bit of a grown up. Yeah, and then sort of sulk for a bit. So yeah, that continual relationship is, I don't know how other people do it. I think, I def- maybe it's because I, gr- I was a grieving adolescent. So I don't, if, you're, if you grieve as an adult, you're an adult. So you don't, do you see what I mean? There's no, tr- you know, you just 20 to 30. Well, what's, what's the difference? Obviously I've learned, but there's something so significant about being yeah, a teenager. Yeah. yeah, no, I can see And that. everyone treats you so differently and tells you you're so, you're not this, you're not a grown up. So I did make a conscious decision to go, well, I'm going to stay here then. Like, why move? And you really did. <laughs> I really did. And you know what? It but is you're paying aware the rent of it. at the moment. Yeah, it's doing the rent. <laughs> I am very aware of it. But that, that doesn't always make it helpful. But also the thing that I think you'll, you'll find with your therapist is that you can have different versions of yourselves in different, of yourself in yes. different situations. Yeah. So you can maintain the adolescent you. We all have an adolescent yeah. and a toddler even. Yeah. And you can also have the parent, the yeah. wife, the partner, the friend. You know, so that they're in different environments. You'll engage with different parts of yourself and kind of realise that we do have multiple versions of ourselves. And it doesn't mean that we're mad or, or that the other one isn't right, but they sit kind of connected yes. and influence each other. And to be at peace with them. And yeah. so if I was your therapist, I would be saying <laughs> sometimes the adult can talk to the adolescent yeah. You know, and help her when she gets a bit stuck. And sometimes yeah. the adolescent can just say to the parent, "Fuck off, fuck off." Yeah. Let me do, let me do my thing. Yeah, um, I'm very good at that bit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really that's good great. At that bit. But it works. Yeah, it works. You find a way through, don't you? And I think, like, I think it's really interesting what you said about the different aspects of. I think as I've got older, I've just learned to trust that it's okay for the teenager to be in charge, and sometimes not to be in charge. It just, but that's taken me a long time to just go, like you said, you're not crazy. No. And I think when you're a teenager, you already feel a bit crazy. Yeah. You're already thinking, no one understands me. And, and then, grief feels like madness. Yeah. So, so the you, two are kind of screaming, aren't they? Yeah. So you, then you just start thinking, oh, my God, I'm, I am mad and no one understands me. And so I think, yeah, either, which is why you either go two ways as a teenager. I think you either, like, internalise it completely as I did or you go out and get pissed and take drugs and go crazy yeah. because how else can you do with it? Mm. Or you sit quietly at home and watch Red Dwarf and go, I'm going to figure that out myself, but it might damage me in the process in a different way. Well, it's slightly less risky there. It is definitely. If I was your mum, I'd rather that one. My mum was very happy that I did that. Mm. My brother definitely went the other way. (laughs) That rampaging, it kind of scares me when I see young people kind of rampaging. Yeah. Because it's, you know, the thing I also talk about in the book is that everything that we do to avoid the pain is often the things that do us most harm. And it's yes. not just adolescents that do that. Mm. It's adults. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's interesting, having got older and had friends who've lost parents and seeing them behave like teenagers. And me being like, but you're 25. Why are you behaving like this? Yeah. You've got no excuse. I'm thinking, oh, I guess it's the pain. It's the it's pain. pain. It's just, don't know how to deliver with it. Yeah, I don't know. And I think I was lucky in some respects, I was actually quite strong and I could live with it. I didn't mind sitting in it. In fact, I was quite happy to sit in it. Um, But that, again, very strong foundation of my family. Like, my mum was extremely there for me and my Mm. brother and made it clear that we we had her. So I think I felt if she had crumbled, oh, 
we all would have gone, definitely. So she kind of kept the ship going. And that is the single biggest predictor of of bereaved children kind of doing well. Oh, really, is the other parent. Is yeah. the quality of the parenting, just oh, to put wow. pressure on other parents. Good job, my mum. Good job, your mum. Good <laughs> job, a, your mum. She mom. did a great job. Yeah, because it's so hard. And I, and I, obviously, having just become a parent myself, I'm only just now thinking, how the fuck did she do that? Mm. How, like what like and she just very calmly stoically got on with things it wasn't you know obviously she had her moments but she's like and I mean I was so angry no wonder she obviously couldn't deal with it I was just I was such a ball Furious. of fire yeah and she just you know did her best which mm. I think that's something I think sometimes good enough yeah I think other pe- parents think oh I've got she still thinks oh I you know I let you down I could have done this but just being there, just like I think you talked about being this. Being consistent. Just being consistent and bearing witness. Just mm. being there. She would just be there when I was screaming and crying. And That's just, all she needs to do is yeah, let you do it yeah. and not run away. Yeah. And not tell you to shut up. Well, she would often say, please, please stop shouting. Okay. <laughs> and I'd be like, I need to I shout. shout. She'd go, okay, can I, just, can I just move out of this room slightly? <laughs> like, yeah. But it's probably the shouting in her that wanted to shout too yeah. but couldn't bear it. Yeah. You know? Well, even, like, we used to have a slight system. She would literally stand in the doorway, but, like, not in the room. Well, that would be enough to protect her. Yeah. She's got good instincts, yeah, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. So it was like, I would still scream and shout and really scream, but she wouldn't quite... You're not physically hearing it quite as much, are you, if you're just in the doorway? Yeah. <laughs> I think she... So she could run if, she, if I got too much. Mm. But she never closed the door. She never said, like, I can't fucking deal with this. She would just stand there, like, have you done? Are you done? <laughs> yes, I'm, no, but that's I'm perfect. Yeah. And then she'd probably give you a hug. Oh, yeah. You've got to give the hug at the You've end. You've got to have a hug, cup of tea, <laughs> oh, all the, the soothing the stuff. I yeah. mean, that's what I talk about is let yourself do the thing you need to do, whether yeah. it's shouting or crying or yeah. writing or storming, but then do something that comforts you. Yes, that's very important. And get hugged. Yeah, get hugged. Or And I think I loved what you said in the book as well, of like, it doesn't matter what it is. Because I think as well, especially when you're younger, you think, oh, there's a right way. Because you're at school and everyone at school is telling you there's a right way to do everything. So you think at home there must be a right way to do this grief as there's a right way to do this homework. And I wish I'd known a bit more, like, just whatever you want, whatever you want to do. Yeah, and that's works. what I say to my friends now. You want to scream, you want to go into the woods and hit a tree with a bit of stick for five hours, you want to go clubbing, like, whatever you need to do, just do it. Mm. And fuck everybody else saying anything. You just do it. Because if you do it, I think it speeds it up. I think it speeds the process up, like, of the pain. Definitely. I mean, if yeah. you can find a way of expressing it... Mm. In some ways, it has a momentum of its own. I don't yeah. know if you can fast track it, but certainly, if you like don't, you're doing something. <laughs> if, I think finding ways of expressing what you feel, whatever that is, whether it's screaming, dancing, hitting, bashing, yeah. crying, talking, writing, making a cake, if you're doing it with the intention that this is expressing what I'm feeling, you incrementally adjust a bit more yeah. to the reality that the person has died, and then you incrementally heal. Yes, it feels like we could talk forever. Yeah, It feels like there's weeks and months of things that we could talk about, how people grieve for people like David Bowie mm. or Prince. Oh. I can see rest, your face. May they rest. Wherever, the, wherever Mr David Bowie is, let him be. I'm Prince, but David is my secondary father, so I feel very... So that we can attach right. to people we don't know. But there's still so much that needs to be said about grieving and that we understand it. And the... Nothing quite so arrogant as quoting yourself, but one of the things... <laughs> do I, it, do it. 
things I say is that we need an examined death as much as we need an examined life. Yeah, I really like that. I really like that because I've often felt a bit morbid for how much I've examined my father's death and my grief and I now make a podcast about it. And I felt, you do sort of think, oh, am I being unhealthy? And I actually think we talk about people in life so much, why not discuss their deaths and how we felt about it? And you know, there's so many things that we share with people. You know, if you like the same clothes or the same music, you talk about it. If you've both been through deaths, why not talk about it? Absolutely. Compare notes. Because I have learnt and healed so much by talking to other people. Have you? That's yeah. so good. And understanding how they felt. And even if it was different to my own or the same, it was just to know, oh, we're all human. We all felt this pain. You're not crazy. Mm. You're not special. <laughs> You're a unique... This is normal. This is normal. You're a unique human in that you're part of something. You're part of this tribe of humanity and we all feel this. And everybody will feel it. Nobody's going to get away with it. No. (laughs) So don't... Don't kid yourself, babe. Yeah, and you don't need to be angry because everybody's going to get it. Yeah. (laughs) So it's not... You haven't picked you. No. It really hasn't picked you. You just get it at, at different times. If you like this podcast, please review it and subscribe on iTunes and like it and like it <laughs> and like it and tell your friends and and don't be afraid to spread the word about grief podcasts there's a lot out there guys